My name's Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. Excited to spend this evening with y'all. Who's excited to be here tonight? Just to kind of dive in. Woo! All right. We got some energy in the room. Um, Yeah, if you haven't already, we've got some desserts out back. We got coffee, some other things. So feel free to um, grab some of those um, anytime during the evening. Um, as we go through the evening, we'll have a few uh, breaks, too, where we'll have discussion time. And then if you need to use the restroom or fill, fill up your coffee, you'll have time to do that as well. Um, some of you, maybe this is um, your first Catalyst. Maybe you've been here several times before. Um, if you haven't been to one of our Catalyst events before, it's essentially practical teaching. We, we do a deep dive into special topics. And this time we're doing marriage. We kind of married our marriage conference and catalyst for the spring. So we're doing a deep dive into the topic of marriage. And the goal is not just for you to hear information, hear what the Bible says, but also understand how to apply it in very practical ways so that it would be a catalyst for your faith. Last year, we covered uh, two topics. Living in a sexualized culture was in the spring. And then in the fall, we covered the topic of broken relationships. And now we're talking about marriage today. And you may be here and say, oh, this is good. I like coming to these. Or maybe you haven't really been to any type of marriage conference before. You may be asking, why why do we do this? Why are we here? And why does CBC, I mean, we do something like this every year. Um, Why do we prioritize teaching on marriage? Amazon... If you go and look up all their different resources, books, everything they've got, they've got over 151,000 books on marriage, 27,000 books on dating, almost 12,000 books just on attraction, and over 190,000 books on sex. So our culture is obsessed with relationships and, and sex and, and this topic, but the thing is, as we look all around us, there's, there's so much dysfunction and how the world approaches relationships, how it approaches sex. And we're going to be talking about marriage and God's beautiful design for us. So even though we've got all these voices all around us with all these different thoughts and and all those different books, we're going to spend time looking at the one book that matters, that teaches us the Bible on this topic of marriage. And to see not only God's beautiful design for marriage, And we're going to understand better how to have that deep connection with our spouse to either grow one or to start one or just about how do we have that relationship with each other and continue to encourage each other in our growth. I just want to take a moment to recognize we've got some different groups here tonight. You may be here tonight and you say, hey, my, my marriage is pretty healthy. We're in a pretty good place. Or you may say, uh, we're, we're kind of steady right now. We're not really growing, but we're steady. There's some here that are hurting and Marriage is a little difficult right now, and some that are struggling. I mean, your marriage may even feel like a dumpster fire at times. And I just, I want you to know that across all this room, we're all in different places, but we're all here together to grow in our marriages and to encourage each other. So regardless of where you're at, where your marriage is at, I'm glad you're here. Mm-hmm. As we jump in, we've got some great speakers We've got a few behind me. A few of them are sitting out with you, too. We've got um, a number of different speakers talking about some really exciting topics. You can read about some of those in the book. We'll walk through that in a second here. But I'm just going to encourage you, as we go through this evening, 
Don't sit there and kind of elbow your spouse every time you hear a good line. I know it might be tempting to sit there and just kind of elbow your spouse. Just take notes. Think about what, what are the things that you can be working on? What's a good reminder? Or maybe something you haven't thought of before. And what can you work on in your own marriage? And as we um, go through the evening, I'll just go ahead. Let's go ahead and open this up, if you would. So you'll see on your first page there, we've got, we're divided into three sessions for tonight. So we'll talk about understanding marriage and then have, have discussion uh, questions and a little bit of a break there. Then we'll, session two, we'll cover some hot topics in marriage. And then number three, we're going to cover just some different topics in terms of growing our marriage. You've got several blank pages for notes. So you can take as many notes as you'd like. And then at the end, um, we have a few things coming up at TBC that I'll, I'll share with you about. Um, I do want to share with you, too, as we go through the evening, what we're going to do is we're going to record this. We've got a few people tuning in uh, via li live stream. And we're going to record this and send the link out to everyone afterwards. So if you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I can't take notes fast enough, that's okay. We'll send out the recording link. You can go and find the spot and, and kind of re-listen to something if you want to kind of do, listen to it a few more times. Um, but as you uh, take notes, you've got several pages there, so feel free to do that. And, man, as we get started... I just, again, just thank you for being here. I'm excited. I'm, I'm greatly encouraged. We're here and want to each grow um, in our marriages. I think most of the room, I say, is probably married. We might have a few that are um, thinking about marriage, too. Glad you're here. Excited. We get to spend that time together. For those joining online, thank you for coming and, and tuning in and being with us tonight. And as we get started, let's take a moment to talk about what is marriage. So I get to answer the question, what is marriage? There you go. And excited to share a little bit with you. Now, I remember being, in being a college student in the late 90s. This was probably 1998. I had a mentor, and he introduced me to Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I took this as a green light from a godly man to start looking for a wife. And it was freeing. I, I felt like, man, this is okay to do. And he implied, he says, well, it says he who finds. That implies those who are looking. So I started looking. Thankfully, it didn't take me too long. And I found my beautiful wife, Courtney, and we celebrate this year 20 years of marriage. Yes. How many have been married 20 years or less? Let me see. Married 20 years or less? Look around the room, very good. How many have been married, let's say, between 25 and 30 years? There's a few. Yes, down front over here. Okay, who's been married more than 30 years? Let me see your hand. More. Okay, look around the room. Look around the room. These are the people you need to take the coffee. <laughs> I'm serious. I am so serious. If that, that may be the best piece of advice you could get all night, is if you've been married one year or maybe five years, find one of these couples who've been married 30-plus years, take them to coffee, take them to dinner, and ask them all the questions you want. We can make that happen, I bet. I'm sure. Anybody been married over 40 years? Okay, if, buy them a steak dinner, okay? <laughs> buy them a steak dinner. Okay, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. We all know there are benefits to marriage. Marriage is an up and down relationship. I think we all agree. But the Bible says that it's a good thing. So around your table, just maybe like 30 seconds, just around your table, what are some of the benefits of marriage? Go, 30 seconds. Benefits of marriage.
All right, just a few at your table. Yell out, what were some of the benefits of marriage? Anybody? Friendship, relationship, companionship. I think I heard that. Really? I guess so. Kids, yes and amen. Sex, says our senior pastor. So there are lot, and we could go around the table. There are lots and lots of benefits of marriage, companionship, friendship, having somebody by your side, sex. I mean, the benefits, there are many, many benefits. And one of the benefits, too, of marriage is it gives you purpose. Like, you, you have a, 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 an opportunity to have a legacy, right? Now, benefits are good. Having a purpose for your marriage is good. But let's say, for many people, let's say they make sex, like a foundation of why they're married. And many do. Many make sex the foundation of the mar their marriage, or they make companionship the foundation of your marriage. Every marriage has a foundation of something. But what happens if your foundation of marriage is built on sex, and all of a sudden, the sex life is not there, or it's not great? Then all of a sudden, the foundation of your marriage is compromised, right? And this is what happens when we make secondary benefits or secondary purpose foundational. We can base our marriage on that and we can put our marriage in a place where it could be compromised. But there is a chief purpose in marriage. There's a chief purpose in marriage and I would say this. Marriage exists to glorify God by putting on display the relationship between Christ and the church. That, that's, that's the chief purpose of marriage. You can jot this verse down and read it later. We get this from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, 32. For this reason, a man, and that's important, we're talking about marriage, and so God gets to define and design. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So marriage, for those who trust in the Bible, believe in the Bible, believe it's between a man and a woman, and the two will become one flesh. And then this is what the Apostle Paul does. He takes like a, a he kind of twists this a little bit, or he, 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 you're talking about marriage between a husband and wife. And then he says, this is a profound mystery. And notice what he says at the end of this verse. For I'm talking about Christ and the church. So marriage exists to glorify God by putting display relationship between Christ and the church. Many of us have a photo album maybe in our home that sets out on a, on a table, a dinner table or a dining table, and it, and it has pictures of our family or a special trip. And you're, you're putting on display for those who come in your home to see what your family's like. Well, God says, here is marriage between a man and a woman, and through this marriage, I want to put on display my glory, and I want to show the relationship between Christ and the church. I appreciate what John Piper says, and if you need a book on marriage, it's this momentary marriage, but it is what he says. Marriage is meant by God to put that gospel reality on display in the world. That is why we are married. That is why all married people are married even when they don't know and embrace this gospel. This is the chief purpose of marriage. If it is, then how do we, as people of faith, do marriage 
differently. Before discussing that question around your table, let me give you just one example from the same passage that we read in Ephesians. In Ephesians, that same passage, the Apostle Paul says this, Husbands, love your wives. So, husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's, that's a tall order, right? For the husband. But if the chief purpose of marriage is this, to glorify God by putting display the relationship between Christ and the church, then how do we do marriage differently? All right. Hey, I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Uh, I've been here about 12 years, and I've been married. Uh, this year will be 38 years. Yeah, there you go. There you go. My name is Brooke Sims. I work with Bible Studies and Women's Ministry. And this summer, Trey and I will have been married 25 years. Awesome. Well done. Okay. So we live in a cult. What exactly what he said, and in this environment, we would all agree. But when we talk about what is culture seeing marriage, marriage, <laughs> sorry. I did it anyway. Yeah. That's the way we, never mind. Don't. They don't see that. They see something totally different. So what do they see? We have three bullet points to talk to, talk to about that, and they are. They see it. God's not involved. God's not required. Marriage is not required. Marriage is not a covenant, and marriage is not exclusive. So Brooke and I, mostly Brooke, are going to answer those and explain what those mean. So Brooke, when it says... Marriage isn't required. Culture says marriage is not required. I think as Take we off. look out in our culture today, we can recognize that there are people in our culture who say, you know what, I'm going to get busy building my career. I'm going to get busy doing my thing. But we can have sex because that way I can please myself and enjoy that element of it. But we don't have to be married. Or maybe we can move in together. We can kind of try things out. Marriage isn't really required in this sense. Yeah. Not only is it not required, it's, there's no covenant. There's no real Yeah no covenant to it. So a covenant means a promise. And when God makes a promise, he does not break that promise um, under any circumstance. It's a, it's an unconditional covenant many times in the Bible. And that's what a marriage is. It's an unconditional covenant. It's the vows that you take through sickness and health um, and the good times, and the bad things. But, but in a, in culture's view of marriage, I think we look at this and we think, is it a promise I make forever? Because what if I don't like you in a right. few years? Exactly. What if I outgrow you? I mean, Trey and I got married when we were 22. We're pretty young. We're really different. Don't add up my age. I just realized. <laughs> 22, 25. Okay, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. so. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I got married very 21. young. I was like 10. Yeah, you're 21. Yeah, there you go, there yeah you go. exactly. Yeah, exactly. But we got married really young, and, and I mean. You outgrow each other. So is it really required? Divorce has been made easy in our culture. Yeah. Not only is it not required, it's not a covenant, but it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Some of you travel a lot for work. I think our culture has made it pretty easy to have an affair if you want to. There are apps you can go on to. Some people are just willing um, to just sleep with you. Hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Vegas I'm yep. gone. Um, also just, you can cheat on your spouse through, um, 
the internet or through porn, porn through watching yeah. television shows. I think our culture today, it's available. So it's not exclusive. It's not required. It's not a covenant and it's not exclusive. exclusive. So if it's all of that, what is it? It's about me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my marriage is about me. It's about fulfilling my needs. And when you don't fulfill my needs anymore, then we're no longer going to stay together. And I got to thinking as I was thinking about this, our culture, probably more than in the past, has given us a lot of opportunities to compare our spouse to others. So I can compare my spouse on the internet. I can compare my spouse with the television shows I watched. A lot of people are half naked now, so my husband can compare my body to the bodies that he sees. Um, And so there's a lot of comparison, and I think that breaks down the marriage. It makes it about what pleases me, what makes me happy. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, what I was going to say is I think, you know, we're in a church setting, we're in church, and we go, okay, yeah, Eric talked about the biblical view of marriage. I agree with that. I mean, I, I go in the Bible, I, and I hear these things about culture's view of marriage, and I don't agree with that. And yet, I think we'd be surprised at how much culture seeps in to what we think and what we allow ourselves to think about. So let me just ask you a question, yeah. a couple of questions thinking about go. this. If you've ever thought about, it would be so much better if I just divorced my husband, if I just left my spouse or my wife, it would be so much easier. This is really, really hard. And like you actually travel down that line of thought and you're thinking and thought it wouldn't be that hard to get a divorce. Or have you ever thought about cheating on your spouse and used something available in culture to do it? Maybe you got on an app. Maybe you um, were in an environment where that was acceptable. Maybe you just did it through watching pornography online. You use something that was available in culture to do one of these things that breaks what God has said marriage is. And I think it, it seeps into us more yeah. than we think. And yeah. not only just us, but it's the people around us. It's our neighbors. neighbors. Yeah. It's what they're thinking marriage is. Yeah. Um, yeah. We talked about this as we were putting this together. Is like It's easy to say we disagree. We would all say that's, all of those things are wrong. But the point is, for a catalyst to dive deep, you have to ask this, not surface question, but the next layer down question. Mm -hmm. So have you ever thought of these things? And just a reminder that there's a true battle going on for our marriages, Mm -hmm. Uh, our flesh versus God's word, right? So that's going on. So what's the solution to that? Well, for culture, let's just throw the Bible out because it's outdated. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for us. So if you throw that out, guess what? Who gets to make the rules? You do. Yeah, and that's where it becomes all about me. So how do we battle that? How do we go about that? How do we, how do we allow that battle to happen and let culture start dictating or seeping into even our thoughts? And some of those thoughts become actions. So what do we do with that? Well, first, you've got to know you have an enemy who still kills and destroys marriages. So what are you going to do with that? You get the weapons out, right? Your marriage has to be built upon God's word. It has to be intentional. Marriage exists. What? For God's glory to display his relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. How are you going to do that as a couple? As you go through your marriage, you have to be intentional about using God's word 
to help you in your marriage. Hey, I got 10 minutes to spend with you right now and talk about biblical roles in marriage, all right? So I read a book recently called Boys in the Boat. Anybody read that book? Boys in the Boat, two of us, three of us. That's not a good book. It's just a great story. It's about the 1936 Olympic rowing team that went to Berlin and won the gold medal, all right? And so I learned a little bit about rowing through that book. First of all, look at those ladies' biceps. Who? Yeah. So, uh, so in, in a rowing boat, okay, you have people who row, and if there's more than one, all right, one of the members of the rowing team is called the coxswain, C-O-X-W-A-I-N, coxswain, all right? And they're both rowing. They're obviously in, in unison with one another, rowing together, going in the same direction, but one of them has to call out the cadence, and one of them has to call out, uh, you know, harder right, harder left in order to guide. So they're both working in tandem. They're both equal in partnership, but one of them has to be the coxswain to, to give guidance and direction. And if that were just a man and a woman in that boat, that would be a beautiful picture of marriage because you're both equal in relationship. You're both oaring and rowing and working together going, you know, working together, but one of you is called the coxswain. One of you is, uh, is called to, to be the leader and the, and the guide in the relationship, all right? That's marriage. So I plant that seed in your mind for marriage. So when I think, if you give me 10 minutes to talk about biblical roles in marriage, I'm going to put it on the bottom floor quickly. And I'm going to talk about the two main ones for men and the two main ones for women. All right? The two main ones for men are loving and leading, and the two main ones for women are helping and respecting. Loving and leading, helping and respecting. Here we go. Fellas, I believe it begins with us. Loving and leading. Let's talk about husbands love your wives. It goes, let's, I'm going to build off that passage that Eric just introduced us back in Ephesians 5. All right? Can you put that passage up? Husbands love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church in extremely high calling and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her. The first way, men, that you and I are to love our wives is spiritually. We care about their spiritual health having cleansed her by washing with water through the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Again, this is building off of the relationship between Christ and the church. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Happy wife, happy life. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but, please men notice, nourishes and cherishes it. The second way you and I are to love our wives is to, to love them physically. You provide for them. We'll talk more about this in a second. You provide for their physical well-being. You nourish them. And, this is key, cherish them. This is emotionally. You love them and provide for them emotionally. A successful husband is one who makes his wife feel like she is the most special woman in the world to him, bar none. If you do that, you'll be a successful husband. If you don't do that, your marriage will not be all that God intended for it to be. So husbands, I really do believe it starts with us. We, if we're going to love our wives like Christ loves the church, what does that mean? That means to the cross, bro. I've told many a man, at, I've done, people ask me, how many weddings have you done? I've lost count. My guess is around 300, all right? So I've told 300 men on their wedding day, until you find yourself 
on a cross for her, your job's not done. You love your wife to the cross if necessary. Love your wife like Christ loves the church. May I remind everyone in this room, God loves you so much, he sent his one and only son to die for you. Sacrifice is the ultimate expression of love. If you ever wonder, how much does God love me? Think of the cross. He opened his arms up as wide as he could and died for you. That's the greatest of love. So in that spirit, husbands, love your wives. Sacrifice for her spiritually, physically, and emotionally. All right? So the first thing husbands do, first role is to love. Women, the first role for you is to help. And you know this. Fortunately, God told us this is on page one of your Bibles. All right? Back in Genesis 2. Let's show that verse. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Every man's favorite verse. Thank you, Lord God. Because we need help. Have you seen us try to dress ourselves? <laughs> we need help. You are a helper suitable. That word means corresponding to us. So listen, I don't know if uh, any wife in here ever feels insecure as a wife or um, if you're lacking confidence as a wife. Every wife in here, by, as an act of faith, believing God's word, according to this passage, every wife in here, are you with me? You can say confidently, I was made for this. I was made for this. You were made for this, to be a helper. Now, ladies, I only know of one other being in the entire Bible who is also called helper. Do you know who he is? The Holy Spirit. Check this verse out. Jesus taught us about the Holy Spirit in John 14. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Ladies, you can learn a little bit about your role as our helper from the Holy Spirit. Maybe, fellas, Christ is our example as a husband, and ladies, maybe the Holy Spirit is your example as a wife. You're a helper. What does a helper do? Notice twice the scripture says that the Holy Spirit is with us. He will give you another helper to be with you. And then at the end it says, for he will dwell with you. Ladies, quite frankly, the one, one of the roles you have uh, as a wife is to be our companion. We like having you with us. You are fantastic arm candy, all right? We love having you with us. Be with us. Dwell with us. Be our companion. And then it says, notice, that the helper is the spirit of truth. Ladies, no one can speak truth to your husband like you can. Whether that be exhortation or encouragement, no one can speak truth to your husband like you can. We need truth sometimes. We need your help with truth. And then finally it says, we'll be in you. Hello. That talk's coming later. All right. So husbands, love, wives, help. Back to the husbands. Husbands, lead. Lead. This, the biblical term for leadership is headship or head. Let's look at this passage. Husbands, lead. 1 Corinthians. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a woman.
wife as her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Again, fellas, biblical term is headship or head. My uh, rowing metaphor, you're the coxswain. You're the leader. You're the one who provides guidance and direction for your, your home. And so listen, my brothers, as a, as a fellow husband, on the wisdom of this passage, do you see that the best thing you can do to provide leadership for your home is to walk closely with your head, who is Jesus Christ. Fellas, we love and we lead. Go to God, get direction from him, and lead your family accordingly. Fellas, love and lead. Wives, help, and the final thing is respect. This is the final passage, and Paul sums it all up in Ephesians 5, verse 33. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Wives help and respect. Ladies, I cannot explain to you why and how this works, but I'm telling you it does. When a husband gets adored by his wife, respected by his wife, that word technically means revered. So we're, we're not talking just a little bit of respect, ladies. We're talking a lot. When a husband gets respected by his wife, it just, we just soar. It's like pouring gasoline on our fire. And to be honest with you, ladies, out there in the world today, we don't get a whole lot of that. We don't get a whole lot of encouragement and being built up out there. But you are our head cheerleader, and I'm just telling you, what you say matters more to us than what anybody else says. Respect your husbands. Fellas, love and lead. Wives, help and respect. We are in this boat together. Amen? Amen. Okay, so we've been talking about what marriage looks like, what the spouse roles look like, but the, the key is with marriage is that that's kind of the universal concept of marriage. But marriage looks unique to each individual couple, and it even looks unique in different seasons of life. And so what Sarah and I are going to speak to you about tonight is just life stages to just kind of identify where we are in life. And then how does that impact our marriage? How does that impact where you are with your spouse? How does it impact how your spouse is with you? So let's start talking about some life stages. And what we did was we just kind of broke these up into three general categories of what people generally go through in these life stages. So when you're around 20 to 40 years old, you're newly married, you're learning to adjust to one another, you might be a establishing your career, working really hard to get established because you want to go far in life or you want to do things. Maybe you're starting a family or struggling to start a family. And all those impact your marriage. Maybe you have young children. When young children come in the picture, your marriage changes. It looks different. It looks different how you interact with your spouse. Just the busyness of life, building a home, trying to establish a savings account, all those are things that impact you during these 20 to 40s and impact your marriage. So during the next section, we broke it down for ages 40 to 60. And during that time, some of the things that we identified as raising teenagers. Is anybody in here raising teenagers? Yeah, we're praying for you. Um, empty nesters. Um, kids are moving out. And so um, you're figuring out what that looks like. Yeah, Pastor Sherm. Um, 
caring for aging parents or losing a parent um, and dealing with that um, during that time. Um, a midlife crisis. Um, there's a lot of life change that can happen during between 40 and 60. Um, and the mental impact that can have um, is significant. And so some people deal with a midlife crisis during this time. Um, and then there's, there's stay-at-home moms who stayed at home and raised their children and who are getting back into the workforce. Um, and so that's a big dynamic change during that, that age group that we identified. And then you get into that 60 plus range and you're, maybe you've been married for a while. Maybe you're in a, a new marriage. Maybe you're rebuilding a marriage and you're just facing different things. You face retirement. All of a sudden, I mean, my mother-in-law says all the time, a retired husband becomes a wife's full-time job. You know, she, she just went back to work full-time because her husband came home. So her world looks different. You have grandchildren. You're wanting to create space and capacity for that. Sometimes that makes a difference on where you're going to move. You have aging bodies, illnesses. I mean, Trey and I were laughing the other night. We went out to dinner. Y'all already know how old I am, so it's no secret anymore. Um, but we, we went out to dinner, and I looked across the table as I put my glasses on to read the menu, and he's just put his glasses on. To, and I'm like, we are just starting this process of, I mean, sorry, Trey, but he's getting ready in the morning. He'll, like, start making these aches and oh, sounds. I'm like, this is just starting. We're getting to that place of aging bodies and starting to look at illness. We're just downsizing. You've had this house. You've raised your children, and now you're trying to decide, how do we want to live out those years of retirement? Where do we want to live them out? And all of those impact our marriage. And as Sarah and I began to talk about this. We were like, well, how does that really help the people at Catalyst? Because what we don't want to do is just come to you and give you these facts that you know. Okay, you, we know we're in these life stage, but what does that really look like? And so as Sarah and I kind of sat down and really processed through, we thought, what is the piece that we need to take away in our marriage? And I think one thing we have to realize is while Trey and Brooke are in this same putting on their glasses, I'm not there yet, by the way. Um... <laughs> Um, putting on their glasses to see their menu. Um, the reality is not everybody in a marriage is in the same stage, mm -hmm. right? And so um, while there could be a, a young mom and she's home raising the kids and she's staying home and dad's over here and husband's over here and he's out establishing his career, um, the needs that they have are different. So what do we do with that? Um, I think the big thing that Brooke and I discussed taking away it, for, as a takeaway is we have to change our focus. Mm -hmm. um, and now changing your focus, I looked at this picture and I thought, when I have to change my focus on my husband, I do not always look that happy. Um, sometimes I do, but not always. Um, but the reality is, okay, so focus as a verb is defined as to adapt or to become able to see clearly and or pay particular attention to. So we have to change our focus from where we are, the stage of life that we're in, and focus on our spouse. Um, and so how do we do that? And so um, here's uh, four, five things that, as, as a takeaway of things that you can do to shift your focus and change your focus. The first thing is recognize your own stage. What stage are you in? Um, and then evaluate and determine your spouse's stage. Are they different? Nine times out of 10, the answer is yes. Um, probably similar, but different. So what are your spouse's needs um, in the stage that they're in? And how can you help them feel loved and valued? And then how can you use that verb, that action of changing your focus to your spouse? 
So we have some examples of how you might be in a different stage. Yeah, so can you flip back to that slide on the change your focus? Because <clears throat> I think what happens is naturally when we get in a life stage, let's say you are that young mom and you are busy raising kids, your focus is your kids. It's what's going on in your world. And it's really hard to look at your spouse and say, my spouse is trying to establish himself in a career. And that takes a lot of time. I need to support him. I need to be his helper in that. Um, we tend to, and I, I just had this vision thinking of this picture, this graphic we're going to put up of how our culture is kind of a selfie culture, right? Like we turn the camera towards ourself. And that's often what we do in marriage is I want you as my spouse to think where I am and meet my needs in the marriage. And this change your focus is to look to your spouse and to say, where are they? Some of you are in a season of life where you may be at that aging body and all of a sudden your spouse is being hit with a medical condition that you're not experiencing and you don't feel it yet. But all of a sudden your spouse is hurting a lot. Your spouse hasn't able to do what they were able to do for a long time. And that's going to take changing your focus and thinking, where are their needs? What does that person need from me right now? Not this selfie focus of what do I need in my life stage, but how do I support my spouse in their life stage? And that's both loving and respecting. That's how we do those. It's in those moments of life where we recognize as a spouse, as a husband, wait, my wife, when I get home tonight, is going to be tired She's going to be exhausted, and I love her well by coming in and taking care of the children or maybe doing something. But at the same time, the spouse who's exhausted says, you know what? I'm going to respect my husband, and when he comes home, I'm going to ask him how things have gone. And I'm not going to get mad at him. I'm going to encourage him for how well he's working. That's the change your focus. And that's hard to do. Because again, that culture seeps in and culture wants to tell us, you're worth it. You're the one. Hey, you need to look to your needs. And sometimes we'll be with a group of friends who are telling us, man, your husband is not that great. He doesn't look out for you. He's not helping you. And we have to change our focus and think about the other person before ourselves. Because we can look at ourselves and do that whole selfie look and then also add culture's view in on it. That's like a double whammy. So we have to be able to change our focus and look at the needs of our spouse and look at where they are. Hi guys, we are Joe and Dana Morin, if we don't know you. Um, yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, we've been at Trinity, I think probably 14 or 15 years. Um, we have been married, actually our anniversary was yesterday and we've been married 17 years. Thank you. Um, this is a second marriage for both of us, so we hope that we have valuable things that we can share with you because of some of the experiences we've had. So this session is entitled Hot Topics in Marriage. And the first hot topic we're going to talk about is communication and conflict. So we know that communication is a large, large part of a healthy marriage. And it's something that we've all heard so many things about. We've all learned those topics. And yet uh, Dana and I were presenting in a workshop last month and one of the husbands, when we got to the communication part, he said, oh, I've learned all the tools. I just don't use them. And that kind of sums up our experiences with communication. <laughs> yeah. So I, <laughs> oh my goodness, yes, and come back. So I grew up in a home where my parents did not communicate. And I mean, it, they didn't communicate at all. And if they did, it was more my dad yelling and it created a very stressful and uncomfortable 
place to grow up. So I learned at a very young age that I was not, my marriage was not going to look like that. So, I mean, I'm telling you, I was probably in middle school and I had already decided my marriage was going to look different than my parents and we were going to communicate. So I will communicate you to death, which is probably not a great thing all the time, but it's Well, that's true. <laughs> but it's better than not communicating at all or yes. enough. So yes, that's is. why we're talking about yes. communication. Um, so God's word gives us some examples on uh, how to communicate. And I like uh, uh, James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, where it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, some healthy ways to communicate and some unhealthy ways to communicate. So starting with unhealthy communication, um, the first thing that I would say is talk about is passive communication, which is basically you're not communicating. You know, that's if you don't believe your thoughts and feelings and opinions have any value, so you just don't express them. Um, you know, whatever you want is fine, things like that. Um, Passive aggressive is another kind of communication, which you guys are probably familiar with. Um, this is kind of when you have something to say, but you're not really going to say your, you know, your true feelings, but then under your breath, you're making a sarcastic comment or, you know, that's, that's fine. We can do whatever you want to do, but, you know, it's stupid or slamming doors. I'm okay know, with it, but someone else is going to get mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. That kind you of know, thing. Whatever. <laughs> My favorite one is I'm fine. Guys, if she says, I'm fine, just a hint, she's not fine, okay? I don't understand it. You don't need to understand it. You just need to know that. This isn't personal experience or anything. <laughs> so, another unhealthy way to communicate is, uh, is aggressive communication, and aggressive communication is hostility. Aggressive communication is communicating in an offensive way where you're trying to win, you are trying to dominate another person, and it's all about you. I don't care. We're doing it my way. That's a stupid idea. We're not doing that. It's about, it's about belittling the other person or invalidating them because you have to win, and you have to have it your way. So, um, you know, those are just brief examples of this is not what we want it to look like. And, you know, we, communication's hard, and we all struggle with it. But if we look in God's Word... Um, took a verse out of Ephesians, Ephesians 4.29, where um, Paul is saying, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So healthy communication is about being assertive and communicating assertively. It's clearly saying what you think and what you feel, knowing that your thoughts and your opinions matter. So it's like it's about communicating honestly to your spouse and communicating honestly about yourself. It's not about being right. It's not about being wrong. It's about expressing your feelings and your thoughts honestly, truthfully, and completely. Not omitting something because they might not like what you have to say or omitting something because you're afraid it might hurt their feelings. It's about being complete and truthful in your conversation. This is how I think and feel about that. And, um, you know, one of the things we've talked about a lot is just including being inclusive of other perspectives. So you have 
your perspective on something, but you don't own the whole perspective. The other person, you know, your spouse has a perspective too. And I think it's really important that you share those with each other. Um, and somewhere in the middle, you know, if you're in a, in a conflict or whatever, somewhere in the middle is you're going to find a compromise, you know, cause it, but you need to both be able to express how you feel about it. Um, another thing that's, I think extremely important in communication is communicating in kindness. So, you know, speaking the truth in kindness. It kindness diffuses the situation. It makes you more approachable. It it just makes you feel loved. Um, and I think that you can hear things more easily if they're spoken in kindness. So, one thing that is easy to remember for me is being careful with your words, not careless with them. Because once you've said something that's hurtful, it's already been heard and you can't take it back. So you just, you know, I, we've told people before, just stop yourself before, you know, you have to learn. It's like a learned behavior, but stop yourself before something comes out of your mouth that's not going to sound very good to the other person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stop one sentence sooner. You should have stopped one sentence sooner than you did. Um, it's also healthy to communicate your expectations. None of us are mind readers, and healthy people ask for what they need. So it's important that you talk with each other about what your expectations might be. And also, expectations are something that are discussed and they're agreed upon. If you have an expectation and your spouse doesn't agree to it, then it's not going to be a met expectation. It's only going to lead to disappointment. A good example of that is when I was working, if I was going to be out of communication for a while or if I was going to be home late, Dana really needed to know what was going on because she uh, was worried about me. So the expectation was if I was going to be hard to get a hold of, I would reach out to her and let her know where I was, what I was doing, when I expected to be free, so she wouldn't be home worrying. So that was an expectation that we discussed and we agreed to, and that expectation was met. And that really is important because if your spouse doesn't know, you know, what you expect, I mean, think about it. It's so the more that you're talking and sharing, the better really that it's going to be. Yep. And communication is really easy. We have these tools. We've talked about them, and then conflict arises or there's tension. Is anybody in here their best self when there's conflict or tension? I mean, I know when that happens to me, my mind freezes for a second. And our natural reaction in conflict and tension is to either immediately start defending ourselves or attack back to gain ground. And then we're starting to say things we shouldn't say. And, uh, and we start seeing some warning signs when you start getting that way. Some warning signs, first of all, would be um, um, escalation, where you start escalating. I'm talking forcefully and louder, so she gets louder, and I get louder, and I get meaner, and she gets meaner, and we've passed that point where we were not going to be careless with our words. That's one example. Um, another example is withdrawal, and you know that's, that can seem like you're the good guy and you're not going to you're not going to engage in the argument, so you're just going to withdraw, and it's, you know, it leaves a room. But if you don't, if you do that, then nothing ever gets resolved. You know, if you're always just walking away from a tense situation, that's not healthy either. Um, a third one is invalidation. So if you're validating someone, you're building them up, you're, you know, saying good things. If you're invalidating them, you're tearing them down, and you're treating them as though how they feel doesn't matter. 
and you know that can even we've dealt with this because you know I've felt invalidated before and not in a not necessarily in a bad way but if if you feel that way you need to speak up and you know and let your spouse know yeah this is that didn't happen I don't know why you feel that way that isn't what happened guilty <laughs> another one is is negative interpretation and I thought I was pretty clear on this list at first, then I found out I'm guilty of many of these things, but negative interpretation is a big one for me, and this happened this week. We're doing something, and Dana goes, did you empty the dishwasher? And I went, no, I didn't empty the dishwasher. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And she looked at me, and she goes, oh, well, because if you hadn't emptied it yet, I was going to. I was just asking, and I immediately jump into defensive mode, and there was no reason. I negatively interpreted what she said, and it was just a question. So it's easy to get carried away. So do any of you recognize yourself in any of those examples? Escalation, withdrawal, invalidation, or um, negative interpretation? I can proudly say I'm only three of the four. Okay. <laughs> We're not gonna talk about me. <laughs> uh, don't let things build until you're angry though. Because bad, bad news doesn't get better with age and the longer you wait, something, let something wait and the more you stew, the worse it's going to get. Remember that your spouse isn't your enemy, you're both on the same team and you probably have each other's best intentions in mind. So Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So we have some tools that we can use to, um, to help you and some things that you can work through with these tools. And the first tool we like to use in communication to talk about is engaging senses. Has anyone ever misinterpreted a text message? Okay, so a text message is just words on a screen, right? Okay, what if you had engaged hearing and you heard that person would it have been easier to understand the intent now if you saw them and we engaged our sight now you can see the look on their face was she smiling when she said that to me uh, you can see their body language now if you go one more and you engage touch if dana and i are holding hands and we're looking each other in the eye when we're talking, there's no mistaking what each one of us is saying or what our intent is. So the lesson there is don't text when you're angry. <laughs> that really does make a difference though. Um, just in, even just connecting by holding hands. And, it, and if you're in a tough, at a tough moment where you're struggling, you know, get yourself to do that, even if it's hard because it, it changes things you know you're trying to choose love in these circumstances so a second um, tool we can use is active listening which is also called speaker listener in some i don't know if any of you guys have ever heard about that but basically active listening means when you're in having a conversation or communicating with someone you're listening to them when they're talking so rather than especially if you're in conflict rather than trying to formulate the next thing you're gonna say or the next, how you're gonna defend yourself or how you're gonna argue back, you need to be listening to the person and what they're saying to the point where you can repeat back to them what they're saying. So here, here's an example, and this is the way this works. Uh, Dana, when you leave to come to church and I'm going to my workshop and you tell me don't do anything stupid while you're gone, 
I feel like you treat me like a child. <laughs> so what I hear you saying is when you go out to work in the workshop and I say, don't do anything stupid, it makes you feel like a child. Yes. Anything else? No. Okay. Okay. So that's, <laughs> it sounds kind of silly. And actually there's a story behind that. I actually did do that, do do that to him. Um, now she smiles and says, be careful. <laughs> I'm trying and really that, that's what we try to get you to do. And you know, if you're struggling in commu communication, just try like it's, it's baby steps. I mean, I still may tell him not to do anything stupid when he goes out there, but you know, if I try to catch myself and go, just be careful or not say anything, <laughs> it's okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, we're running out of time. Um, timeout is another good one. Not this is not timeout like you put your child in timeout. This is if you're having a hard time discussing something and you're fighting or you're whatever, you can call a timeout. Um, the rules for timeout are you have to wait at least 30 minutes and not more than 24 hours to come back to the conversation. So this isn't timeout. We're not discussing this. This is timeout. We're going to go away and you know, go do something like go for a run or listen to music or pray or, you know, but get yourself back to a space to where you're, you can reasonably come back and have a safe way to connect. So that's kind of what timeout is, but make sure you come back to the topic and finish, you know, finish the discussion. And a timeout is something you agree to. You don't tell your spouse, you need a timeout. <laughs> Not a good idea. Something else that's, that you don't think of this as being part of communication, but the five love languages. And if the, the five love languages, I'm going to read them because I'm going to get one wrong. Quality time, acts of service, giving gifts, physical touch, and words of affirmation. This comes into communication because you're communicating with each other constantly through your behaviors. And if you know your love language and you know your spouse's love language, you can communicate more effectively. Otherwise, you have the, the wife that's going, I just want him to sit on the couch with me and hold my hand and tell me I'm doing a good job, but he just keeps washing my car. Okay? <laughs> that hasn't happened either. No. <laughs> okay, my favorite one, you guys, is gratitude. You know, if, if all your spouse ever hears is you being negative about things that they're doing, you know, calling them out on all the stuff you don't like that they're doing, and they never hear you praise them or show gratitude for the things that they do right that you appreciate, your relationship's gonna suffer from that. And so I just think it's really important that, you know, even if it's something as simple as, I saw that you folded the clothes, thanks for doing that. You know, it's, and I, I think especially for men, it goes a long way to, to get to hear, and, and for women too, but to get to hear just, something thankful, just a simple thank you. And you can write notes to each other. You can, you know, say something nice in, about your spouse in front of your friends. I mean, all of those go a long way to just... Emptying the dishwasher is hard work. I'm just telling you. Is it? Yeah. Thank you for emptying the dishwasher. <laughs> so, you, you guys, <laughs> you guys all have an index card on your table. We're not going to do this right now because we're running out of time, but we're going to come back to it. So, what I want you to do, we'll do it in a little bit, is be thinking about a couple of things that you appreciate about your spouse because you're going to write them on that card and then you're going to switch cards. So that's something we're going to do before the night's over, but be thinking. Okay, one more tool is three questions. This is a very simple way to communicate and get you talking. 
And there, the three questions are, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? And what is one thing I can do for you? So that's just, that is such a simple way to just open communication or just have, you know, just find out about your spouse and kind of where they are and what they're feeling. Yep. So one key point about communication is abiding in Christ. And if you're abiding in Christ, your communication gets a whole lot easier. Mm. So in John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus is talking and he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And then it goes on to say, apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide means to dwell, to rest in, to remain, to be immovable. If God is not the first priority in your marriage or in the center of your marriage, first priority in your home, all of these other things, you know, communicating, all of everything about your marriage is going to suffer. So he is your source. He is your go-to for, you know, how to love, how to communicate well. He enables you because of who he is. He enables you with anything that you need. And the enemy is after your marriage. And if you're, if God is not your number one priority, the enemy is going to win every time. So, um, just this graph, that's sorry. If you look at this, if, if you and I individually, you know, Joe and I individually are seeking the Lord, if God is the top, is our top priority, the closer we individually get to him, you'll notice the closer we get to each other. And I just think this is a great visual for that. And we'd like to leave you with uh, the last verse, 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all that you do, and we'd add, and say, be done in love. So Stephen and I uh, got the section to talk about sex and intimacy today. And um, we're going to start by talking about um, five different stereotypes um, with regard to sex. One is the Bible doesn't talk about sex. Um, Who thinks that's true? Nobody. Good. Good. Um, The Bible does talk about sex. It talks about sex in a lot of different ways. It talks about the purpose and the beauty and the design um, and the role of the man and the role of the woman. So the Bible definitely does talk about sex. So that's stereotype number one that can go out the window. Uh, Number two, sex is something that you should get to experience before marriage. You know, take it out for a test drive, uh, multiple people, let's see what's best, how we can get into this marriage, or find the one that's best, and that's who I'm going to marry. Sex is reserved for marriage. Um, Most couples don't practice this, which can potentially cause issues at some point in their marriage, Um, but definitely it is a stereotype that it's something that you should get to experience before marriage. The third one is sex is a separate act that isn't connected to the rest of our marital lives. Um, Sex and intimacy 100% is connected to all different aspects of our marital lives. Um, So the fifth and fourth one is men want sex more than women. Who thinks that's true? Okay. I think some some of you are afraid to raise your hands. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I've got some stats for you. Three out of five men have a higher sex drive than their wives. Surprising? No. One out of five women have a higher sex drive than their husbands. Right? (laughs) And only one out of five couples have an equal sex drive. 
So that tells me a few things. Yes, it could appear that men want sex more than women, but that's not always the case. So that's a stereotype. And that's one that definitely I think is, if we go back to the culture topic that is that our culture tells us all the time is men sex, men sex, women are for sex. Um, and so definitely um, that's a stereotype. And then the last one, and I'll talk about this a little bit more when we talk about the different stages, um, uh, but sex gets worse with age. So, you know, when you're young, it's fun. Um, and then the older you get, it gets worse, it gets worse, it gets worse. Um, but that's not true. With practice and intentionality, you can both get better at sex, but you have to want to. So you have to keep that connection, but definitely a stereotype. So while I got it to get up here and uh, dance on stage to let's talk about sex, baby, and give you some stereotypes, I'm going to have Stephen come up and talk about what the Bible says about sex. I don't have any fun song to cue this one up, but if you ever run across one that fits with this part, let me know. Um, as we talk about what the Bible says about sex, we're going to hit this really quick for sake of time, um, but just want to share, when we go back to Genesis 2 and uh, just see God's original design for man and for woman, sex is designed to be a beautiful part of marriage. It describes the oneness, and that's that's multiple aspects, but one of that those aspects of that oneness between husband and wife relates specifically to sex. We see it's designed from the beginning. It's a part of God's original design um, for a husband and wife. Not only does the Bible talk about that being the design for husband and wife, but also warns us not to have sex outside of marriage. Hebrews 13, 4 we can go ahead and pull that up. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Now, there are other passages in the Bible that, that talk about this too. And, it's, it's, and there's a variety of different um, sexual sins listed in the Bible. But the Bible both talks about the importance of sex and design for marriage and also warns us against having sex outside of marriage as well. And it's interesting as we look at our culture today, we've, we've reached a point where um, our, some of our younger generations are waiting longer and longer to get married. So waiting to have sex, it, it's, it's easy to say, it's hard to do in the sense of, it's almost like a, a pot of boiling water that's just ready to explode. By the time you get married, you're just, you're just ready. So um, it, it's a very different culture. Why back a couple thousand years? And they're they're getting married much younger, sometimes in, in their early teens, um, and that was a normal part of culture. So we see in the culture we live in today um, that it, it is a, a bigger challenge as we think about waiting for marriage and then en enjoying that within marriage too. So that's a little bit about what the Bible says, but here's the fun part. We get to get into a top 10 list for sex and intimacy. Sarah's going to kick us off. All right, no song this time. Um, so we're going to start our top 10 list um, with uh, number one, uh, appreciate your spouse using their love language. Uh, Joe and Dana did a really good job of talking to us about love languages. You can definitely grow closer in intimacy when you're loving each other with your love language. Quality time, dates, meals, drives, etc. Words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, acts of service. I know when I am loved and shown love by my husband, um, by an act of service or by words, I feel closer to him right away. I feel more intimate to him right away. 
Um, this instantly makes me want to show him love and his love language of physical touch. Now, does that mean it's this for that? No, that's not what I'm saying. Um, but when it's done in unison consistently and thoughtfully and genuinely, when we're loving each other with our love languages in that way, it instantly breeds intimacy. Number two on our list, um, sex is for your spouse. So we find in 1 Corinthians, if you want to put that one up, 7, 2 through 5, um, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relationships, relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another, except when you agree for a time to devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of the lack of self-control. So sex shouldn't be forced upon your spouse, but it's for loving your spouse. So if there is a break, and I think the end of that is, is really good, because when you do, if you do take a break for a time of prayer, um, you have to come back together in a, in a reasonable amount of time so that there's not temptation there because of our own lack of self-control. And sex should be spouse-focused and not self-focused. So Brooke and I talked earlier about that whole focus. Um, but it, 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 sex, too, it should be spouse-focused and not self-focused. Okay, so number three on our top ten list. Intimacy is all about the three Cs. Cooperation. It takes both partners in order to be intimate. Um, I can't be intimate with my husband without him being intimate with me. It doesn't happen one-sided. It has, there has to be cooperation um, from both parties. The second C on those, three, on those three Cs is communication. Lack of communication, friends, will take intimacy from a 10 to a 2 in no time flat. We have to be in communication with one another. And uh, Joe and Dana did a really good job of talking about some of those ways of communication. Um, and so that communication has to be strong in order for intimacy um, to be there. And then the last one, uh, the last C is compromise. Um, it's changing our focus to look at our spouse um, and sometimes bending from our own wants, right? So um, I want this right now, but I should back off because my, of where my spouse is. Or I don't want this right now, but I see where my spouse is and I might need to bend a little bit too. So there has to be compromise um, in, in all areas for intimacy to breed. And so number four, intimacy is uh, important in all stages. And so this is fun. So I broke it down into four. There's the newlywed stage. And this is these are formative years in marriage. Um, habits are formed. And so um, this is when you're, you're creating habits in all aspects of your marriage. And sex and intimacy cannot be left out of that. Um, so habits are formed during this newlywed stage. Expectations are made. Trust is being built. Um, but you also have unexpected problems arise. Um, and laughter abounds for awkward reasons, okay? Let's think about it. There's some awkward things that can happen when you're learning to have sex in that newlywed stage. But there's an opportunity to grow in humor and, and, and laughter um, and, grow, and grow in those things. Um, so the second one is when two become three, four, five, 
some of you in here, six, seven, eight. Um, and so it's when you bring the kids into the picture, right? And so during that time, it can be hard. Intimacy can be hard. You miss the connection. You feel lonely. You miss your spouse. You miss that time. There's no time for us. And that's a time where selfishness can really seep in because you feel left out. Um, a husband can feel really left out when he sees his wife um, only focusing on the children. And that can, can, can cause intimacy to just break down. Um, at the same time, a wife can feel like, I've had kids hanging on me all day and you want me to do what? So, I mean, it goes both ways. Um, there has to be, a, go back to the, one of the three C's, there has to be compromise, there has to be communication there. Um, but that's some of the things. Um, this is a time where I feel like you most have to be quick to forgive um, during this stage. Um, so the next two, I have not hit these myself, um, but uh, I was able to talk to some people here at church that I really um, admire. The next stage is empty nesters. And so I got a few um, comments from some of our empty nesters. And uh, one of them, I, I said, tell me about, you know, what's intimacy like, you know, intimacy and sex when you become empty nesters. And the first person said, hello, you have the whole house to yourself. <laughs> um, and so, um, Sounds kind of fun, right? So there's an, but this is an opportunity that I've learned that you really get to relearn being just the two of us. Uh, but you also have to, you also learn to deal with the stresses of not having kids in your house and worrying about them where they are and worrying about them differently. And then really learning um, who each other are when it's just the two of you again. And then the last one is golden years. Um, and so the people that I've talked to, it's just, a really sweet time of intimacy growing, and it looks different. Your intimacy looks different during these golden years than they did um, back when you were newlyweds or when two became however many. Um, but the last person said, yes, sex does still exist in the golden years. So um, there's that. And so the fifth and final one for me is intimacy is intentional pursuit that can only be authentic when done equally by each partner. So um, Colossians 3.15 says, the peace of, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with one another. So intimacy is not always just the big act of sex, y'all. Intimacy is also the little things done consistently over time that create an intimate connection. And so some of those things, um, and, and Joe and Dana also talk, touched on some of this, but it's looking intentionally into each other's eyes. It's sitting closer together. That It's being with one another. Um, hugs, you can't touch your spouse without being touched. And that's like a, a double benefit, right? So you're touching them, they're touching you. Um, holding hands, loving kisses, date nights. Um, we must cultivate non-sexual non um, affectionate touch. Um, these aren't things that are done as a bridge to get to sex, right? I'm not gonna hold your hand or rub your feet to get to sex. They're done so that there's an intimate connection between the two of you. Um, and really, um, when these things are done consistently, genuinely, um, and often, uh, it really breeds an intimacy that will most likely often lead to more sex. So um, that's my top five, and Stephen's going to close us out with the, the next five. All right, y'all. So number six, we're going to talk about flirting as a part of foreplay. Isn't this fun we get to talk about this at church? Yeah, 
The Bible talks about it, so we get to talk about it. Um, let, let's look together. Um, the Song of Songs. We've got um, uh, the first four verses, if you go and pull those up. We've got um, King Solomon's wife um, talking with him. And th this is what it says. This is in the Bible, y'all. Oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your caresses are more delightful than wine. The fragrance of your perfume is intoxicating. Your name is perfume poured out. No wonder young women adore you. Take me with you. Let's hurry. Oh, that the king would bring me into his chambers. There you go. Woo! Something fun happened after that. So as we look at a Song of Songs, has several... Uh, all throughout, there's, there's these lines that there's just, there's this flirting that's a part of, of foreplay. As we, we can actually learn from those and, and implement that as a part of our marriage. Um, let me just show you. Here's a few other verses real quick from Song of Songs. How beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. Your eyes are doves. Okay, that one's interesting. We go to the next one. Your hair is like a flock of goats. I see a few husbands writing that down. Uh, I wouldn't use that one. Your teeth are as white as sheep. Okay, white teeth, that's a, that's a hot thing, okay. Your brow is like a slice of pomegranate. Okay, that's interesting. And then our next one, your neck is an ivory tower. That's interesting. Um, so I, I tried that one early on in marriage. Uh, it did not have the intended effect. I'm just confessing to you now. Um, but, and those lines, I know it's funny, we laugh because they've lost some of the cultural relevance. Back then, they were some really good lines. And you can read, read Song of Songs and, and see some of the other lines used. But, but think about where you're at and, and what is, when you think about intimacy and flirting in, you, in your marriage, do you flirt regularly with your spouse? Do you compliment them? Do you encourage them? Do you express appreciation to them? These are uh, all things that contribute not just to a healthy marriage, but to contribute to a healthy sex life as well, because sex is not just about the physical act, but everything around, everything leading to it. So flirting as a part of foreplay is important. Now, next, we're going to talk about number seven, just increasing your libido. We're talking about sex drive. Um, just think about how do you do that? Now, of course, there's, there's things like just, man, getting good sleep, rest, exercising, eating well. Maybe you've got a lot of stress in your life. Reducing stress can help with that. Um, getting into better shape. Um, if you're a big smoker, if you're drinking uh, too much, um, these are all things that contribute, kind of hurt your sex drive. So um, and we can, you can dig into the science of that pretty easily, and there's more there, of course. But even sometimes it's just it's just the basics in your relationship. Um, I'm going to ask you um, to raise your hand in a second. Okay, get ready. How many of you? Well, let's just say the last year have left like a wet towel or maybe some dirty laundry on the floor of your bedroom. Raise your hand if you've done that in the last year. Okay, not a ton of hands. The rest of you are either really clean or you're all lying. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're lying, but that's okay. There's probably a f there's probably a few uh, neat freaks here. Um, how many of you um, know your spouse isn't crazy about having dirty laundry out in the bedroom, just laying around, or wet towel? Okay, so a lot of us in the room. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do, and I think I'm gonna go ahead and invite all of us to do this. This is a good exercise for all of us. So go ahead and turn to your spouse right now. Go ahead, turn to your spouse, and I want you to repeat after me. Okay, because we've all done this at some point. Repeat after me. I am sorry, honey. I love you. I will stop acting like a slob. 
There you go. Y'all, sex drive just went up. Y'all are going to have a great night tonight. Look at that. You came, marriage conference, got good dinner. You got good tips, and your sex, the sex life just got better, just like that. All right, there you go. But seriously, sometimes it's just the basics, thinking about what your spouse appreciates and, and loving on them well, and, and then, of course, taking care of yourself, too, and, and reducing stress levels. Things like that can help increase sex drive as well. But as we think about um, sex, we also want to take a moment to talk about um, just sexual satisfaction just real quick. Um, so number eight, just um, the more you grow in intimacy in all areas, not just physical intimacy, but emotional in- intimacy, um, spiritual intimacy with your spouse. When you grow in intimacy with each other, you grow in sexual satisfaction as well. As you are closer, it increases your sexual satisfaction. Also, just practice, practice, practice. Sometimes we we get into marriage and we kind of reach a point where we don't really work on our marriage in certain areas. And sex can certainly be one of those areas that we don't work on and try to improve in and, and talk with each other. And part of that's just paying attention to what your spouse likes, what they don't, and then communicating. And and some of us are open in this room, and some of us maybe that's just kind of an awkward thing talking with our sex, uh, talking about our spouse or talking to our spouse, excuse me, about sex. But just thinking about God, it's something beautiful that God designed, so it's okay for us to talk, to have that communication with each other. There are also some factors, this goes to number nine, that lower sexual satisfaction. So what you expose yourself to in media, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but just seeing the media's got this, this picture of what sex looks like, and sometimes we watch that and then we expect that in our spouse, but that's not what marriage is, that's not what sex looks like. But sometimes we, we see all these images and that's what we try to expect, and it does not give us a, a good picture of what we should be expecting in marriage in terms of intimacy and sex. Um, if you're having forceful sex with your spouse, that will definitely decrease such sexual satisfaction if, you're, if it's being forced in any way. And then if, if you're here and you're addicted to pornography in some way or you, you've watched it before, that's actually something we don't have time to get into the brain science of it, but it actually rewires your brain in a way that you do not enjoy sex with your spouse as much. So the more that you're engaged in pornography, the less you enjoy sex with your spouse. So just getting rid of that addiction, getting rid of pornography, and just focusing on your spouse will actually increase your sexual satisfaction um, that you get from um, that time with your spouse. Sex is meant to be enjoyed. If you're not enjoying it, ask yourself, are we focusing on each other first and foremost, um, having spouse-focused sex? Are we taking that time? Are we building intimacy with each other? Is is there foreplay? Um, And then sometimes maybe there's something from your past or from your spouse's past that's holding you back from enjoying sex. Maybe that's uh, something that's medical and you need to see a doctor. Maybe something that's psychological and you need to see a counselor. Sometimes that could be directly related to sex in your, in your relationship, or it could be something else in your life or in your past that is affecting you so that you are not enjoying sex right now. And if that's you, um, getting that help, whether it's a doctor or a counselor, but getting that help can be um, so beneficial to increasing um, just your enjoyment of sex and your ability to, to have that with your spouse. Then last, number 10, just want to take a moment to talk about intimacy as a priority in your schedule. So for physical intimacy, this is just not just sex, which is important to have time for sex, but also just non-sexual touch of, of touching each other, holding hands, kisses, different things like that throughout the day. And then emotional intimacy. 
talking with each other regularly, spending that time connecting, listening well to your spouse, encouraging each other. And then spiritual intimacy as well of, of growing spiritually together. Just make that time. Look at your scumps. Like, when do we have this time to grow in intimacy together? Because it's not going to happen by accident. And this is something that we work towards and we can grow and then we can reap the benefits of that growth as we deepen in our marriage and have that deeper intimacy with each other. So that's top 10. There's lots of other things we could talk about on this topic too. Um, but just wanted to take a moment to share that with you and, and, and briefly highlight some things, what the Bible says about sex and what it says about intimacy. Um, so there you go as we talk about that. And now, kind of a little bit of a pivot, we're going to talk about finances. Fun topic, right? All right. We got our financial team here. Come on up. So we get to talk about finances, and this is something that all of us have a heightened, uh, I would say, interest in individually and uh, as families. Um, and it's a hot topic, and I'll give you two reasons why. One is, according to Focus on the Family, finances or financial stress is the number one cause of divorce in America. So this is a really important topic. And secondly, there's also a divine mandate, especially to every man in the room, all of you listening online, every man. This is for us. This is 1 Timothy 5.8. Let's put that on the screen too. But if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. So, fellas, if you and I don't work hard, you and I were created to work and if we don't work hard to provide for our own families, our testimony is that we're worse than an unbeliever. So there is a high calling, a divine mandate uh, to provide for our own families. All right. So this is a really important issue in marriage. And it's really important that you guys get on the same page. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So Joe actually happens to be a certified financial planner. And he has been one for a long time. So, bro, I'm sure over the decades you have seen couples do things well, and you've seen couples do things poorly, and we can learn from both, right? Yeah. So let's talk about some of the mistakes that couples make financially, all right? I've seen all of them, <laughs> um, but if I had to break things down into three main categories of things that really impact a family's finances, the first one is um, failing to provide margin. Margin means you're spending less than you earn, you have money saved, if something happens, you have finances to take care of it, um, and you haven't put yourself in a bind where the first thing there is a problem, you're running up credit cards and, and creating some financial stress. So that's number one. Number two is probably failing to save for future events, whether that's college educations, weddings, or retirement, people that just they get to that point in life and realize there's no money because they didn't plan ahead. And the third one would be not having life insurance. And I say that because many people, that means men, um, refuse to believe that we're all going to die. And when, when a, uh, a husband or wife, but if the primary breadwinner dies, I mean, that's a tragedy in and of itself. But if there isn't, if it's a primary breadwinner, and that person died without life insurance, now it's also a financial crisis because now you have a surviving spouse and maybe children, and they don't know if they're going to be able to keep the home. They don't know how they're going to pay their bills. They don't know if, they move, know if they have to move back in with parents. But those are probably the three main ones, margin, saving, and life insurance. 
That's good wisdom. And, and get it, young people, get it, life insurance while you're young. I can't get life insurance anymore. Since I had uh, heart surgery, they won't give me anymore. So get it while you're young. It's cheaper thought, when you're young. I thought young. it was because you were old. Easy. I'm just saying, get it when you're, I deserve that, though. <laughs> Brooke told me I am going to get it, actually. She, you're going to get it. Anyway, uh, so thank you. That's good wisdom. And so, Dana, uh, let's talk about financial security. Uh, I think it's safe to say literally every wife I've ever met with in 30 years of being a pastor, uh, premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, has said that financial security is in the top five of needs. Would every lady around here, everybody listen, would you uh, nod your head on that, that it's an important part for you? Okay. I know it's an important part for you. Maybe share a little bit of your story why, and then tell us what you've done intentionally to help assist that. Okay, so part of my story is that my first husband was killed in a car accident when I was 34 and I had a five-year-old child. So you don't expect that to happen to you in your 30s or 40s. You just, you don't even think about it. I mean, that never entered my mind that that was going to be part of my story. So had we not had life insurance, because um, that's the first thing I would say, and I, and I said to my friends at, the, at that time, is you need life insurance because you don't think you're going to need it and nobody wants to pay for it. But if I hadn't had that, um, I would have been the one. And I, I was until I kind of understood that I had it and we were going to be okay. But I was the one wondering if I was going to lose my house and how am I going to take care of my child? And I had a job, but I wasn't making enough money to you know, cover what my late husband was making. So first and foremost, I think just, um, I think one of the other things that happened when that happened to me was I wasn't well aware of, of like where our money was and what the finances looked like because I didn't necessarily care because my late husband took care of all of that. So I think another part of it or something I learned from that is I, I need to know where the money is. I need to know, you know, that we're okay. I need to know that we're saving, that we, you know, can pay our bills. That, so that's kind of, that's, that's something that we talk about. That's another How thing often do y'all do. do that? Uh, I don't want to say how often, but frequently. I mean, we're discussing finances and our financial goals and where it goes and what we're doing with it. We, that's a regular conversation for us. It's not a morbid, oh, it's time, we have to do this. It's a routine kind of thing. Well, and he's really good about if something's changing or if, you know, we, now that we're in retirement because we're living off the money that we've saved, I mean, that changes it too. So if he's making a change about something, he tells me, you know, so it's kind of a, we just keep each other in the loop. I don't care that much about it. He's the one that knows money, but I have security in knowing that he's taking care of it. And, you know, I think um, we decide together about things you know, how we're going to spend money, especially if it's getting into a larger amount. You know, we've agreed that we talk about it. Um, the money is our money, and that's something I think a lot of times with women, I don't know um, about the women in the room, but if you stay home with your kids so you're not working and your spouse is the one that's making the money, you know, you can fall into that, well, he's making all the money. I'm not, I'm not bringing anything in but you have to live in the world of this is our money. It's not his money because he's making it. It's, you know, he's, he's doing that because that's what God's called him to do. And I'm home taking care of the kids. So, you know, that, I think that's important. Um, budgeting is important. Living within your means is hugely important. 
to me. You know, if you're spending more than you make, then you're just digging yourself a hole, and that's not a good place to be. Um, we set goals, you know, have a financial plan together. And the other thing that's highly important to me is being deliberate, deliberate about giving. So that's, you know, and I just, I believe if you start that when you're young and it's part of your financial plan, so to speak, um, then hopefully you'll carry it through. But that's just, I think we are called to be good stewards of what God's given us. And that's part of our responsibility. Outstanding. Amen. I'm a huge, huge fan of couples having a financial plan uh, that you agree to together. It eliminates a lot of arguments. And so if you want a copy of one, I've got a one-page PDF that all you have to do is email me, jsherman at trinitybible.com, and I'll send it to you. It's just a one-page, seven, like it's called the Roadmap to Financial Freedom, and there are seven destinations along the way. It's what Beth and I used. I can just recommend it to you. I'll send it to you for free. You're going to have it. But uh, whatever, you, if you don't use that one, that's fine. But find one that you both agree on, all right? Uh, it's, it's really important. Okay, let's wrap up with this, bro. Um, what would be some of your just final recommendations out of all the wisdom you've gained over all these decades? What would you say to everybody? Well, I have some, some basic advice to share, that, and this applies to young couples starting out, and it applies to... Um, folks that are nearing retirement, because if you have this down pat, you still need to work on it. And the first one is know how much money is coming in. You know how much you get paid. You know when it comes in. Make sure you know what's really coming into the house as your resources it's available to use. And the second thing is to track where that money's going. I've heard people tell me that they've created a budget and it didn't work because they used made-up numbers. Well, we estimated $400 for groceries. Where'd that number come from? Oh, it sounded good. So you need to track your expenses and know what you're spending and know where that money goes. The next thing I ask people to do is now that you've tracked where your expenses are, I want you to sort them from largest to smallest. And typically at the top, you're going to have housing expenses and you might have some car payments. But a lot of people, once they do that, and once they put in all their debit card transactions and all those little swipes, a lot of times they're surprised where their money goes and I ask them to match their spending to their values. If you, know, you looked where your money went, does that match your values? Well, tithing is important to me. But it turns out that that's below Starbucks on where their money actually went because they go to Starbucks every day. And when you do it $5 at a time. You just it, started meddling. <laughs> a, a generic um, beverage place of your choice. And, uh, but... When you swipe it and you're doing $2 at a time, $5 at a time, you don't notice where the money goes. But when you look at it over a period of time, a lot of people are shocked by what they spent on something and then what they didn't have money to spend on. So you have to track your expenses to be able to know how to budget. And then I say pay your taxes, pay your church, and then pay yourself first. You have to save at the beginning of the month because if you wait till the end of the month to save, there's no money left to save. So saving has to be a priority at the start of your paycheck before you figure out where it all goes. I call I, it paying God, paying the government, and paying yourself. Yes. That's the order. Exactly. Yep. You do those, those three, three things, first. and That's then right. you're on track. If you do that, now you're living on less than you earn, so you're creating that margin. You don't have many options if you're spending every dollar that comes in, and your credit card bill is getting higher every month. So you have to see where your money is going to stop that, that cycle 
and it's a cycle of destruction. So save money for short-term goals and short-term emergencies. If you have a damaged roof in Texas, the law has changed, you will pay your deductible. If that was the money set aside for your Disney trip, you have a hard conversation with the children. Um, seek advice from a professional. If you know someone that you trust, that's good. If not, you probably have a friend who knows someone. Because just like, um, you know, Tiger Woods has a golf coach. You know, all the sports professionals you know, they have coaches, and there's no reason why you can't have a coach for your money. And then with what I started with earlier, and that is have life insurance. I'm not going to tell you what kind to buy. I'm not going to tell you where to buy it, who to buy it from, or how much to get. But I'm telling you, you probably need some. I think husbands, if I may say it, um, we go first on average, all right? Our wives on, on average live about five years longer than we do, all right? And so if you care about your wife even after you die, I think it's just good to have enough life insurance to make sure that she's cared for. And that's all I'm going to say. Just have, by, by the way... I'm a big fan of not just having life insurance, but having a whole estate plan that uh, I, have, I have this whole file for my wife because I'm obviously going to go first. She's a health nut. I got heart disease. All right. So I got this whole file for her. So she doesn't have to worry a thing when I die. She knows right where to go, who to call us, names, phone numbers, passwords, all that's right there. Here's where to bury me or my ashes. It's all right. She doesn't have anything to worry about. So my encouragement to all the husbands is be prepared for when you go first because we usually do, all right? That's part of loving your wife. Uh, I think we have time. Are we on schedule? Okay, can I ask you a real practical question? Sure. So uh, short-term savings and long-term savings, where do you put your short-term savings? Just a check account? Uh, short-term savings needs to be someplace guaranteed, so generally you're talking a bank. Okay. So in a bank you need savings to cover in case you lose mm -hmm. income cover for those emergencies. So, right. Yeah. Three okay. to six months of pay or three to six months of expenses in a bank where you can get to it. Outstanding. Long-term savings. Where do you put your long-term savings? If it's anything more than three years, then I would look toward investing. And I mean, our money is invested in the market, but we're not just invested in the market. We're invested in diversified portfolios and assets allocated so that when the market goes up and down, we're comfortable with how much it goes up and how much it goes down. Right. So not just a one-size-fits-all, but find a way to invest where you can still sleep at night when the market does what it does. Yeah, very good. Uh, Beth and I, that financial review you guys were talking about, Beth and I did that every month. Uh, financial security was a big need of my wife, still is, of my wife. And uh, I'm a little bit of a financial kind of nut. And so I created the spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet. We kept every single receipt, and we put it into the spreadsheet every month. I printed it out and show her, and I said, this is how much money came in. This is how much money went out. This is how much money's in the bank. This is how much money's in our long-term savings every month until we got debt-free. By the way, my wife and I are debt-free. We're debt-free. Uh, so pay God, pay the government, and pay yourself, and uh, do those first three things first, and then over time you'll get debt-free too. And there's a lot of freedom in that, by the way. It's kind of like becoming empty nesters and having the whole house to yourself for sex. It's kind of like debt-free is kind of being like that, you know? It really is. It's great fun. You know, you mentioned that. It's funny, but I download every transaction once a month, 
and I can tell you where almost every dollar has gone for the last eight years, and I don't need to know that. But what I need to know is, you know, what's come in, what's gone out, what it looks like, and are we comfortable with what it looks like? So I started in this business in 1986, and I still track our monthly expenses, even though I know they're going to be less than what we had brought in. Does that bring you security? It does. Can do you like that? I do like that. I And I don't need to know the nuts and bolts. I don't, you know. She doesn't want to see my spreadsheet. No. I don't, you know, I just want to, well, and if you watch it too much, I mean, for me, if you're watching it too much, I'm watching it go, you know, when the market's down, then you get depressed or we're going to run out of money. Mm -hmm. And so I, but I appreciate that he does that. Yeah, and, you can watch it too much. I did that. I confessed that at church a few weeks ago. Y'all remember yeah. that? Yeah, I have not, by the way, looked since. <laughs> I've not looked at my portfolio since, by the way. I'm just keeping my word. Uh, at the end of the month, I will. I'll do it once a month. Once a month is enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. I have, uh, can I say one Anything more else? Before? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just because there's so many young couples in this room, this kind of goes back to what happened in my life. But in terms of, you know, being prepared, I would just tell you guys, have your will done. You know, and nobody wants to think about that when you're young either. And we didn't. And we did not have one when he died. So have your will done, have guardianship established for your children. Those are just things I didn't know about. And, you know, chances are you're not going to need them till you're very old, but just in the event that it's so much easier if those, you, you guys together have talked about those things. Right. So you're not making those decisions on your own by yourself. That's right. Amen. All right, our third and final session for tonight is growing our marriages. So we've talked about understanding what marriage is, some hot topics in marriage, and now we want to grow in our marriage. That's what we're here. That's what Catalyst is all about. Catalyst is something that promotes the growth of something else, and that's what we want this event to be. So we want you to walk away with some tools and practical things that you can use to grow your marriage. And one of the items that we want to talk about tonight is spiritual priorities. So as you think about spiritual priorities, they just got done talking about finance and what finance looks like and um, maybe some goals that you're going to set for your family financially and do some things. And, you know, as married couples, oftentimes we're working towards goals. Maybe you're trying to save money to buy a house, or maybe you're looking towards retirement and you're trying to get a certain amount in before you can retire. We're constantly making goals and setting priorities for ourselves. And I think a good question to ask in our marriage, because we can get really good about making goals and a lot of them look like the American dream, which are great. But maybe to ask ourselves, what is God's goal for our marriage? What is his spiritual priority for our marriage? And God's spiritual priority for our marriage is this. It's really his individual goal for you. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. To be sanctified means to grow progressively to look more and more like Jesus all the time. This is God's spiritual priority in your life. And what's interesting about that is when you think about that, you think, okay, my goal in my marriage, as Eric said earlier, is to glorify God and to reflect Christ. That is the goal in my marriage. So everything that God is doing in my life, whether it's through my work or anything, but also through your marriage, is to refine you and to make you look more like Jesus Christ. That is his goal for you. So what do we, how do we do that? How do we be sanctified? How do we be changed? 
You know, it's funny because a lot of times when you want to refine something, some of you who maybe work in the shop, when you refine something, you take like sandpaper and you start to rub it, right? That's how you refine it. Or if you're refining something, you start cutting things off. You're shaping, you're molding. And that is what God is doing with us in a marriage. So even that spouse and the way they come alongside you and sometimes they kind of rub you the wrong way, it's God refining you and God sanctifying you as he does that, as you do that. Now, how do we make God a spiritual priority in our lives? What does that look like? Because in our marriages, the first person we want to put at the top of our marriage, just like Joe and Dana showed on their slide, is God. How do we make God our number one priority so that we are sanctified, so that he does refine us, so that we are changed to look more like Christ? Well, we do that through spending time in the word, through prayer. And you hear that all the time in church. Okay, if you want to get close to God, you need to be in the word. You need to be in prayer. And those are good things. And those are the things God puts in front of us that he wants us to do. But here's where we sometimes go wrong on that, especially when we think about our marriage. We go wrong because we think if I go to God in prayer and in my word, the reason I'm going towards him is because if I do, if I spend time with God, then I'm going to be happier. My life is going to get better. Everything's going to work out because I've spent time with God. And we almost treat God as if he's this magic genie, that if we just spend time with him, then my marriage is going to naturally just get better because I've spent time with God. Now, oftentimes that is what God will do, but I can read in the Bible oftentimes where things don't get better just because you're spending time with God. God is going to use a season to refine you, to sanctify you, to look more like Christ, which means he's going to give you opportunities to look more like Christ. And when we look at how Christ lived, oftentimes he was trying, or he did, love those who were hard to love. He helped those who were helpless. And oftentimes that's what it's going to look like in our marriage. Another thing we say when we say spend more time in prayer, spend more time in quiet time, we think, well, God is my advisor. I will go to God and I will spend the time in my quiet time and he might advise me how to be with my spouse or what to do and then I get to kind of decide if I want to do that or not. Like, I don't know if that works for me in this season of life, but I'll listen to what you're saying and I'll figure it out instead of going to the Lord as Lord, Lord of my life. Sometimes we kind of treat him like he's just an option as opposed to our priority. But it is said in the word to spend time with God, be in his word, be close to him in prayer. In doing that, that should be the spiritual priority of marriage. In doing that, like that graph showed, you will get closer to one another just by spending time getting closer to God. Everything that we do is based on that. I was up in the middle of the night. I watch Hallmark Channel. I love it. I couldn't sleep last night. And so I'm up in the middle of the night watching Hallmark Channel, and an ad came on with LeBron James. I don't know if you've seen it. It's the new um, ad for Tonal. And he comes out, and he says, everything you've seen me do was made possible by what you don't see. Because when you're not looking, I go to work. Strength isn't a gift. It's, It's worked for and tested. And I thought that is the same thing that happens in our marriage. If you see a good marriage happening, it's probably based on things you don't see. When they go to work and they're working hard at it and they're strengthening their marriage and they're spending time with God and they're intentionally pursuing God so that they can pursue one another. It's that intentionality. Have you ever heard that phrase, show me a Bible that's falling apart, and I'll show you a life that isn't? 
And I think that's the same truth with our marriages. Show someone a Bible that is falling apart, a spouse that's in their word all the time, and I'll show you a marriage that isn't. Because they're going to love like Christ did, and they're going to reflect Christ. It says in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we seek God first, and then he changes us, and he refines us, and he makes us look different so that we look more like Christ. And this is what it's going to look like, because it's going to look different than, than we even expect. Have you ever been really, really upset with your spouse, and they are so wrong about something? And you go pray about it, and God's like, yeah, you do that too. Yeah, you probably need to go say you're sorry because you did this and you did that. Has anyone, has that ever happened to anyone? We're like, you want God to like bring down fire on your spouse. And he's like, no, it's, it's you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's happened to me. Another one that shocked me, um, so much in my marriage one time is, um, we think that God, I mean, like God always says, I am number one. I'm always, I'm always your priority. And he is. But God's desire is for you to be in your marriage. And one time, I was in my quiet time, and it had been a little bit since my husband and I had been intimate with one another. And I started doing my quiet time, and no joke, God said to me, you stop right now and go have sex with your husband, and then come back to me. That shocked me. I did not expect God to, you know, had to wake him up in the middle of the night and say, hey, (laughs) I was just told by God. But that's the kinds of things that God does. He surprises you. If you're always going to God and he's always telling you exactly what you want to hear, you probably aren't really listening to what he's saying. He's going to use it to refine you, to change our thinking. We make God the priority because when we do, we draw closer to one another. He is our priority in marriage. And though we are seeking all these other things, we have to be intentional to seek God first. And so when you're thinking about your life and where God is taking you and what you're doing, I think we need to ask ourselves the question, how much time am I spending in my relationship with the Lord? Because everything in your marriage will be reflected in your time with the Lord. But the second priority then, after spending time with the Lord, is investing in our spouse. They're our number two priority. Not our children, not our jobs, but our spouse. Because of the mandate of what it is, it's to reflect God, it's to magnify him, and it's to reflect him. And that's what it's about. And I started thinking about Jesus. Jesus' first desire when he was here to obey his father, his number one priority was God. But his second priority was his bride, the church. That's who he invested in. That's who he looked after. That's who he was giving towards. And that's exactly what we are supposed to be about. I heard this from a pastor, and I thought this was so wise. He said, your husband, your wife, should know what, love, what God's love for them is like by the way you love them. If you're truly reflecting God, then, then God, Trey, should recognize to some extent God's love for him through the way that I love Trey. I should see how good and kind God is by the way Trey loves me. I should see how faithful God is and how faithful my husband is to me. We're supposed to reflect God to the world and primarily to our families, to our spouse. Do we exude the attributes of God 
as we look at our spouse and as they look at us, what do they see? Do they have an understanding of God by looking at us? So we want to prioritize God by spending time in his word, and we want to prioritize our spouses. And that's hard because there are going to be so many things that run up against that and challenge that. Our time and our attention, the demands on our life, and yet without intentionally seeking after our spouse, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss one of the mandates that God gives us to glorify him and to reflect Christ in the church and what we're doing. So as you think tonight and as you leave tonight, think, what are my spiritual priorities? Am I making God my number one priority? And am I putting my spouse in their rightful place? We're going to take a moment to talk about uh, brokenness in marriage and healing. There was a couple who was preparing to get married, and uh, they were really, really excited about the wedding. And they were focused on that. They went through premarital counseling, but it was just kind of, oh, yeah, we got to get through this because we want to get married. We're real focused on the wedding. They weren't focused on after that, what marriage looked like, having a healthy relationship. They're just focused on the wedding. And in, in particular, they wanted the wedding to be memorable. So what they ended up doing is during the wedding ceremony, they exchanged their vows, and they had these two doves. They actually rented, um, and there was a dove they put a blue string around, and the other dove they put a pink string around, and these doves had been trained, so as they released them into the air, they flew in a spiral up into the sky. And as they did that, the, the audience was watching and ooing and aahing. This was beautiful. They wanted this to be memorable for everyone there, and they were there ooing and aahing. Well, this wedding took place in Arizona. There happens to be a large hawk population in Arizona. And you can imagine what kind of happened. Uh, the hawk came in and accomplished what it set out to do. They weren't sure if it was the groom's bird or the bride's bird, but it happened. So the wedding ended up being very memorable to them, but not for the reason they wanted it to be. So it's, it's funny, and we can, we can laugh at that. But in this particular story, a true story, that couple's marriage didn't make it two years. They got divorced. And as we think about um, the topic of brokenness in, in marriage, there are hawks that are out to destroy our marriage. In fact, Satan is out to destroy every single one of the marriages in this room because he knows the power of a strong marriage as you are pursuing Christ together the, and the power of that for the, for the kingdom. Satan wants your marriage to be destroyed. And many marriages today are broken. And it could be for different reasons. Maybe, um, maybe you're not pursuing Christ right now. You're not either together or even just separately. You're not pursuing Christ at all. Maybe you don't treat each other well. Maybe there's a really low level of trust or a complete lack of trust. That could be because of some significant issues that happen or maybe a bunch of real small issues over time have kind of led to a low level of trust. Or maybe you just don't even know what a healthy marriage looks like. You didn't have that growing up. Maybe in your adult life, you don't really look around and see a bunch of healthy marriages and you're, and you're not around that, so you don't really know what a healthy marriage even looks like. So we're going to take a moment to talk about how to bring healing to your marriage, how to begin um, just taking some of those first steps. So I'll share with you one of the first things you can do is to get healthy yourself. If your marriage is in this place, you know there's a, other marriages that are in this place, um, things are hard. Um, your marriage will never be healthy if you don't get healthy. 
I'm going to say that again. Your marriage will never be healthy if you don't get healthy. Pursuing that health. Of course, there's several areas. Just thinking about physical health and, and getting healthy yourself, uh, even emotional health. Um, how, how do you think positively? Are you thinking positively about your spouse or are you negative all the time towards them? Or are you negative towards life in general? Um, Thinking positively can, can, can help increase and, and doesn't take away from the difficult things that are happening in life or happening in a marriage, but how you view what's happening and looking for the positive things can help in, um, bring more emotional health to your marriage. Or maybe it's mental health. If, you, if you're in a place you're like, ah, I'm not sure about my mental health, or you know something's going on and you're not getting addressed, then seek help. Seek professional help to get to a better place. Get healthy yourself. Those are just a few quick things. You may think of others, but get healthy yourself because your marriage will never be healthy if you don't get healthy. Then next is you pursue healing in your marriage. We've talked a lot tonight about just that other, the, the spouse-focused mindset to love your spouse more than you love yourself to continue to do that and that's not conditional that is we are loving our spouse each and every day more than ourselves and we are loving them even if we don't receive it back because the bible doesn't say love your spouse if they love you or you had a really good day or they had a really good yeah all things are going well it says love your spouse love your spouse more than you love yourself love your spouse even if they treat you terribly love your spouse even if they're horrible to you love your spouse that's what we're called to do in marriage and as you do that the health of your marriage will improve too now, I also recognize there are some specific issues. We're going to touch on a few right now. There's, there are others, of course. Um, but just to touch on a few specific issues. Um, we talked about finances tonight. That's, that's a top three reason why couples divorce is finances. So if, you, if you're not in a good spot, if you heard this tonight and you're sitting there, okay, that would be good practice, that would be good practice, do it. Just take the time. Set aside that time. Take that step as a couple and work on your finances together and get to a good place with, with your finances. Maybe you've got differences in parenting. You, you, one of you wants a parent one way, the other wants a parent another. Just take some time. Sit down and just start that conversation. Talk through some of those differences. Hey, I notice you, you kind of approach things this way with the kids, or maybe I tend to approach things this way and have that conversation with the goal of talking through what you're each comfortable with and see, can you get to a place where you're both comfortable as a couple? Because that's the sweet spot. If you can get to a place where you're comfortable as parents and you're doing this together, because the thing is, if you got kids at home and this is you, um, everyone's going this way and that way. Um, you're not going to be in the same room all the time. You already know that. It's like it's hard to get everyone in the same room anyways. But to be in the same place, even when you're not around each other, um, just brings a lot of health to your marriage. But that doesn't happen um, by accident. That takes intentional conversations about how you parent your kids. For some in the room, it may be boredom. That may be an issue just in your marriage. Um, I'll just say this. I think it's been a long time diving into this, but thinking about activities you both enjoy. What are some of your favorite memories together? And think about what those are and what you did and 
maybe go do that again. Have some fun. If you're bored and you, and you remember, oh, I love doing this five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, go, go spend some time. Do that together. And, and think about those things you can enjoy together. And I know for some couples, because I've talked with some of you, I've talked with other couples that, that struggle in this area, um, sometimes it might be doing activities together, but sometimes it might be taking turns doing something that your spouse really enjoys. And to take delight in that. I get to do something that my spouse really enjoys. And I get to love on them in this way. And you, you take turns doing that and loving each other. Um, that can help too if you're experiencing any type of boredom in your marriage. If there are sin issues in the life of your spouse, I know God often grows us through the uh, influence of our spouse and through our relationship. Um, but it's okay to, to have your spouse say, hey, look, this is going on. I, I need to seek a mentor or someone just to pour into me. That is good. That is healthy to have others help us grow. And that will increase the health of your marriage too as you work on if there are any specific sin issues that you're wrestling with right now to have someone who's walking with you beside that. Can your spouse help you and walk alongside you? Yes, absolutely. But sometimes we get caught into almost trying to be the Holy Spirit in our spouse's life of every single thing that ever happens, addressing all the things and it's it's happens again and again and again and that it can be difficult sometimes on marriages and and where when you bring up all these things but but the holy spirit is ultimately the one responsible for being at work in our spouse's life and we can certainly help them grow spiritually we can address the things that need to be addressed yes absolutely um, but there can be others that can come alongside and 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 help us grow too and if it's an area that you both struggle with in your in your marriage to find another couple just say hey uh, we'd love to learn from you and grow in, in this area um, take them out to the coffee or the steak dinner depending on how long they've been married of course um, but to to help each other grow I know a hot topic in terms of just issues with the marriage um, can be issues with uh, extended family. And without diving too deep today, I, I just want to say, man, if, you, if this is an issue that has happened before or is happening now, just issues with extended family, um, that, that's true for pretty much everyone, okay? That's just normal. Um, there's a saying, if you don't think there's anyone weird in your family, then congratulations, you're it. <laughs> It's true. It's true. Uh, all of us have some, some interesting extended family. That's okay. Um, maybe you're that person in your family. Who knows? But um, as you just think about that, as a couple, you have to make the decision that's best for, for your marriage. And if you've got kids at home, that's best for your immediate family. That's your goal. As you're working through things, if you're struggling with well, how do we relay, what do we do, all these different things that come up, at the end of the day, there, there might be conversations to be had or boundaries that need to be placed, but the ultimate goal is for you to put your marriage first, and if you've got kids at home, to put your immediate family first. And then everything else um, can come as, as long as you've, you've focused on that, and then you can build, continue to build relationships around that. For others, if you did not see um, a healthy marriage growing up, and it's probably a lot of people in this room, did not see a healthy marriage growing up, maybe your parents are divorced, maybe in adulthood, like we talked about earlier, you, do, you don't see a lot of people around you with healthy marriages, um, that's a great opportunity for you to say, hey, 
I need to see some healthy marriages. I need to, you're not going to see perfect because we're a room full of imperfect people, every single person in here, we're not perfect. But to say, hey, what does that look like? And it might be as simple, join a small group at the church, something like that, just to get engaged, to be around other couples, to see what that looks like, to grow and to see that and experience that. So get in a small group. Maybe if you're dealing with some things, find a couple or mentor you. Just get around others so that you can see what a healthy marriage looks like. And then just to share a few, um, th- these next few issues that can happen um, are, are ones that professional help um, should, be, should get involved. You need to seek that out. Um, if there's abuse in the marriage, first of all, get safe. If it, and if there's kids, whatever you do, you need to get to a safe place, okay? If there's bu- abuse going on, get safe, then get help. Automatically, you need to go get help so that you can address what's going on. For addictions in the home, if there's any type of addictions going on, maybe your spouse is really controlling, if there are mental health issues, uh, these are all things that you should seek professional help. And then if you're, if you're struggling, maybe there's a little bit of differences in beliefs, um, just in terms of spiritual beliefs and Christianity. If that's you, um, man, contact the church. Talk, tap one of the pastors on the shoulder. Hey, we'd love to just talk with you through this. That's okay. Just be able to talk through that and wrestle with that. If you haven't been able to talk through that yourselves, to talk with someone at the church and to talk through those. So those are just some tips. That does not cover everything in terms of brokenness in marriage and some issues that happen, but those are just some, some quick tips on how you can take some next steps if, if you find yourself or someone around you in a situation like that. So speaking of situations, we're now going to talk about some different types of family situations with Joe and Dana. So marriages are made up more than just a husband and a wife. There are other family members. There might be family situations. There might be work situations that create additional challenges or stress in a family. Uh, Some examples of those, um, divorce and remarriage. Um, blended families. Um, we're a blended family, so a lot of times, you know, that involves other children. It involve, involves another parent. Uh, a traveling spouse or a military spouse, where in a case one of the spouses might be periodically geographically absent for a period of time. Um, difficult children, and you know, we know children are a gift from God. That is true, but that doesn't mean that they always make home life smooth sailing. Harmonious. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Harmonious. Uh, Estranged children or adult children with a difficult relationship, maybe. Um, And speaking of adult children, you know, we're at the stage where we have adult children. And, you know, you kind of think that once your kids grow up and you get them through high school, maybe through college, that you're done. That's not the case. It just changes. You're always the parent. It's just different and challenging. Yeah, it's a whole new set of challenges. <laughs> or empty nest or retirement when, uh, you know, over a period of time where we talked about, it was talked about earlier, where you have to, um, you know, protect your relationship and it adapts over changes in your life so that your relationship grows as your situations change. So we have pretty much experienced every single one of these family situations um, one way or another, and they ca- these cause stress in your marriage. And I think that's where you have to be very careful and very intentional about protecting your marriage and not letting these outside things derail you. So how do we not let them drive us apart? And we've learned a few things going through this. And uh, I remember the first time that we actually did this one thing when we had an outside stressor that was raising the anxiety level in the house. And we looked each other in the eye and we went, this isn't about us. We're okay 
this is the thing that's happening. And sometimes you have to be make a conscious effort to separate out what's happening in your marriage from your marriage. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't about us, but there was a lot of tension. And yeah. we had to really acknowledge the fact that it was an external thing. It wasn't the two of us. And it's really important that you, that you do that because you're protecting this relationship by doing that. Um, it says in, Paul says in Philippians 2, 2 through 4, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interest of others. So this, that applies in your marriage. And if your goal is to protect your marriage, this is kind of, we've come up with some, some tips to give you. So I would say the first thing, first and most important thing, and we've talked about this a lot, is seek the Lord. You know, if you are, if you are seeking him and focusing on God and not the problem, that's really the first thing that you have to do. And, you know, praying is, praying is very important. Praying with each other together, praying for each other praying for the other people in the situation because y'all God is faithful and you can trust him with whatever that situation is. He is going to be faithful. His timing may be totally different than yours. And we've certainly found that out. We're in the middle of something right now and we don't understand it, but we trust God, you know, that God's timing is perfect. And, and even in the waiting, he's still with you. Mm-hmm. Next tip is to strive for unity. And so striving for unity meanings means present a united front. Not only that, but also seek to understand the other person and the other person's perspective, not just your own. So when you're going through these trials, it isn't just about you. Yeah. Well, and a good example of that is if you are, you know, in a, in a marriage where one of your spouse, one of, one of you travels a lot, or, and this happens in military families as well, but you know, if you've got one person who's home all the time, taking the kids to all their activities, making sure the laundry's done, doing all the cooking, you know, keeping life going at home, and your spouse is, as you perceive it, you know, out staying in nice hotels and eating at nice restaurants and hanging out with, you know, their work people, that can, you can begin to resent when really you need to kind of look at the respect side of that instead. Sure, and I've been the traveling spouse before, and for the traveling spouse, sometimes it means, you know, long work days that last past those dinners that you have to have. It means waking up um, in the morning and not remembering what city you're in or what time zone you're in. And um, I knew that when after I had long days like that when I was traveling, I didn't want to, when I called Dana in the evenings, I didn't want her to be frustrated with me because I was out enjoying myself while she was home doing everything on her own. But in the same regard, I also had to recognize and understand that she was running a one-person show, and even though I was doing what I needed to be doing and I was providing for the family, she had her own job, which was also hard, and I needed to appreciate it from her perspective. Well, and really, that's where you just need to talk openly about this, you know, have honest conversations, because that's ultimately what helps you get through those things. And I know I've had to many times put myself in Joe's shoes and think about what it feels like to be him. I mean, I know what it feels like to be me and how I feel about this, but what is, you know, what does it feel like to be him? So that's just a good thing too, is just kind of put yourself in their shoes. 
We've had similar situations regarding parenting, and we've um, parented strong-willed children, and there are times where I am very direct because that, in my opinion, gets the point across, which she perceives as harsh, and it's different from her gentle, more persuasive manner. But we talked openly about this, and really it's you don't have to be the same to be on the same page as long as you're talking your way through it and you're agreeing about what the goal is. It's okay to be different while you're trying to accomplish the same thing. Well, and pa- I mean, parenting is a huge one, and it's a hard one, especially if you have differing opinions. But I just I remember a wise woman telling me once to, you know, listen to your husband because there, you know, he is if he is being led by God, you know, he's hearing something from God and and doing what he thinks is best. And you just, you really have to work through those things because I know parenting can be huge. And, you know, and especially with us, we were parenting in a blended family and that makes a huge difference. So back to seeking the Lord. Um, The other big thing is giving each other grace. Um, Grace is an example of a definition, is extending goodwill and the release of expectation for a season or a period of time. So grace is a gift, it's not earned. And if you think about, you know, the way that God gives us grace, if he gives, extends us grace, then we can extend it to others. And I know when I, you know, when I look back over my life and just some of the difficult things that happened, you know, a lot of it as the result of losing my first husband and then being a single mom and different things, dealing with the, you know, child that was hard to raise, I can look back now and see where God has just poured grace on so many things and you might not see it in the moment but when you look back you you see where God was there the whole time and if he can extend grace to me like that then I can certainly extend grace you know to others so um this there's a passage in Colossians it's Colossians 3 12 through 15 that I think sums this up really well clothe yourselves with compassion kindness we talked about that humility gentleness and patience Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So there are so many situations, and we kind of just mentioned a few and talked, talked about them, but the key thing is to, first of all, acknowledge that they exist, and then talk openly and assertively to one another and seek each other's perspective so that you can learn from it and grow your relationship as a result of the challenges instead of allowing the challenges to be insidious and start to tear you apart. So we have a final question for you to think about, and that is, is there something that you're holding inside, like resentment or some other negative feeling, regarding a difficult situation in your family that you need to talk about as a couple? As you think about next steps, just wanted to share a few quick things with you. Um, as you think about where you're at and how you can grow your marriage, one of the best ways you can grow your marriage is being part of a small group. So we have a number of small groups. We call them connection groups here um, that you can join um, to be with other couples and to grow together. And they study different books of the Bible or maybe they're going through other books. Um, so if you're interested in one of those, you can contact the church. The information's in your booklet. Um, we'd love to get you connected with a connection group. Um, there's also a class that's starting up. 
Um, it's, it's called making peace with your past. So if there's something from your past that's affecting you personally today or it's affecting your marriage today, it's a great class to go through. Uh, we, it's starting up tomorrow night, but also you could start next week too. That's not a big deal. Um, you kind of just catch it at the beginning and you can kind of go through that. So we'd love to invite you to do that. The sign-ups for that on the website at trinitybible.com and you can get registered if you'd like to take the class, Making Peace with Your Past. That's on Monday evenings. Um, for the next few months. If your marriage is in a place where you recognize we need a little, a little bit more help, whether it's, hey, we want to just grow, you're saying, hey, we, we've got some issues and we're kind of struggling to, to work through those issues, we'd love to invite you um, to contact counseling at trinitybible.com. What we can do is we've got partnership with several local counseling agencies where you can get discounted counseling. So if you contact the church, we can actually help you get a great rate um, to meet with a professional counselor who can walk alongside you as you are working through some of those things. So again, the information's in the booklet, counseling at trinitybible.com. As we close today, let me go ahead and um, just pray over you now. Lord, as we wrap up our time here tonight, we thank you for the opportunity we have to think about our marriages to pause from everything else going on around us and be focused on you and how we can grow as a spouse and how we can continue to pursue uh, having a healthy marriage together. So regardless of, of where everyone is at tonight, God, I ask that you would guide each of us to the next step in our marriage, to take that next step of growth. I ask that you would give us the boldness to pursue that next step that we wouldn't just think about it, eh, kind of, but I gotta ask that you would, you would give us that courage to pursue that and to pursue a healthier marriage because that's what you want for us. You want us to have healthy marriages that we enjoy, that we were created to be a husband and wife, that are married and love each other and enjoy that because God, that's how you created us to be in that relationship together. So we thank you, God, for how you designed marriage and the blessing it is. And I ask for each of us, we can continue to take those steps of growth um, just based on what we heard tonight and what we're thinking through, what you put on our hearts, that you would, you would guide us in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.